Are you not having the success you want with your direct bookings? Perhaps you are tired of feeling like you are out of your depth and wish there was an easier way. Well, I've got an exclusive free training coming up that just might help. Join me on April 4th when I will share the top three mistakes that I consistently see vacation and short-term rental property managers make in their desire for direct bookings that could be costing you major profits. I will also be sharing my top tips in building your own direct booking sales engine that will bring in those direct bookings while you sleep. Come and join in the fun. Head to my website, directbookingsuccess.com, and click on the free training button to join me on April 4th, because you deserve your own direct booking success. This is the Direct Booking Success Podcast, bringing you the information you need to increase your direct bookings. I'm your host, Jen Boyles. As an owner and manager myself, I know how hard it can be to navigate the short-term rental industry. I'm here to help so you too can have direct booking success. Hello and welcome to the Direct Booking Success Podcast. Today, I am speaking with Sarah Orchard. Sarah, hello. Thank you for coming on. Can you hi, tell Hi, can you tell everybody a bit about yourself? Yes. My name's Sarah Orchard. I'm the creator of getfully.com and also I am a host. So with my husband Adrian, we run the Hubble's Hide Treehouse. Brilliant. Brilliant. So let's start, let's start with your background. Let's start why marketing, because I think you started in marketing before you went into sort of holiday rentals. Is that correct? Oh, yes. I, I've been in marketing for 30 years, so I'm a bit of an old hand at it now. <laughs> I went to college and I discovered I hadn't wanted to be a, a marketer. I actually went to university thinking I was going to be an accountant. Oh. <laughs> and then I actually did some accounting. I had to do a lot of that throughout my sort of four years of my degree. And I hated it. <laughs> so that possibly wasn't the right choice for me. And then I studied marketing in my sort of second year. And I did a marketing placement where I went out and worked for a year. And I just thought, this I, I really enjoy this. This is what I want to do. So I, I left uni and I then started a sort of typical corporate career. For 16 years, I worked in the travel industry. So I worked for some really great companies like Keone and Hog Robinson Business Travel. And I spent nine years at Avis Car Rental, looking after a lot of their partnerships with people like Fountain Atlantic and Eurostar and KLM and British Midland, Forte Hotels as they were at the time. So yes, very much a sort of traditional corporate career in, in marketing. But I, I left there in 2006 and I decided I'd had enough of the corporate world and I set up my own marketing consultancy. And I've been doing that ever since really. So that's like 15 years of working predominantly with tourism and hospitality and other small businesses and helping them get to grips with their marketing and be, you know, be more successful. Yeah. And how did you get into holiday let, holiday rentals? How did that come out of the, the travel? Yes. Well, it was interesting because my husband and I, before I left my sort of corporate career in 2004, we... We, I don't know, we just suddenly had this moment of like wanting to go traveling. We Both of us hadn't done it when we were younger, we didn't have the money or, and we've sort of got into our careers and we decided to go on a round the world trip. So in January 2004, we left, we rented our house out, we left the UK for six and a half months and we went off traveling around the world and we stayed in some amazing backpacking places and we spent three months in New Zealand. Wow. 
loved. And we actually thought we were going to emigrate. We we decided that we'd fallen in love with New Zealand so much that we were going to go and set up a backpackers. We thought, you know, we we stayed in all these quirky places and we thought, you know what, we could create a really great experience for backpackers. We love the country. Then we came back to the UK and we sort of thought about the fact that we might not see people. <laughs> we were like, well, yeah. It's a long way away. So we sort of went back into, I went back to Avids and, and picked up my career again. And, and But we had itchy feet. And while we were traveling, we actually stayed in our first treehouse, which was in Salt Spring Island, just off the coast of Vancouver. Oh my goodness. I know where that is. <laughs> yeah. And that was our first experience. So the backpacking places were all quite, you know, lots of quirky cabins and really interesting places. And of course, we didn't know about glamping at the time. So mm-hmm. but our first treehouse experience was in Salt Spring Island. And they're just sort of magic, magical, magical structures to stay in. I think it brings back that child in all of us and it's just something about being off the ground and up in, up in the tree. Mm-hmm. I have to say the treehouse that we built is a little bit different from the one that we stayed in. I would think so. And I was I was back in Canada this summer in Vancouver and I was on Gambier Island, which is a bit, bit not too close to where Salt Spring is. But I went up into a treehouse, not like a like a kid's treehouse. Yeah. And I haven't been in a treehouse and oh goodness, since I was a kid. And yeah, there was a moment where I was like, okay, I think I may have to live here. I'm not sure if I can get down that ladder. (laughs) My brain, my adult brain was going, this is not a great idea. But I can imagine that tree houses these days, when we're going to stay in them and sleep in them, they're much more luxurious than what we have in our minds from being a kid. Exactly. And the one we stayed in, it, you know, in Salisbury Island was was quite basic. I had like a trap door on the floor and you climbed up this little ladder and it re- really was properly built in a tree and it was tiny and the toilet wasn't up there. You had to get <laughs> the ladder to go to the toilet. And actually what was totally funny was that there was a turkey that was the neighbour's turkey that was quite aggressive. So... <laughs> Adrian got down the ladder and went off to the little composting toilet and he got stuck and trapped down there because the turkey wouldn't let him <laughs> to the treehouse. So, um, it was quite an eventful experience, but it did sort of stick in our, stick in our minds and it was really magical. And I think that yeah. sort of sparked our sort of desire to think we wanted to create something sort of different. And then coming back to the UK, I, like I said, itchy feet. I think we both realised that we'd, we'd done our corporate careers and... We'd gone as far as we wanted to go and we wanted to do something different. So we started looking for somewhere in the UK. It took a long time to find the right area and eventually the right house for us to move to and build our sort of dream project. So it was a it was a search for the right property to build a tree house of your own to to rent out, but also to have a property on it for you to live in. Exactly. And that was the challenge because also we didn't have a limitless budget. <laughs> it was right up the the house that was suitable and the land as well it's really tricky to find a property that had the land that had the suitable sort of woodlands that we could actually build the tree house in and how long did it take you to find it well we started looking probably in about 2006 seven when I sort of left you know the corporate world properly we sort of that point decided that you know we wanted to change of direction and we we looked at lots of different areas of the country, sort of Dorset and Wiltshire and Devon and Cornwall. And then in 2014, we came on holiday to the Wye Valley. My husband's a fisherman and he said, I've always wanted to fish the Wye. And I was a bit like, where's that? <laughs> and he was like, well, it's where sort of England meets Wales. 
And I was like, oh, over the Southern Bridge. Okay, I get where we're going. So we came here in 2014 and just absolutely fell in love with the area. I mean, I was brought up in Scotland and it's quite, you know, the Grampian area of Scotland is quite mountainous and there's lots of hills and like Speyside and Deeside, lots of river valleys. It's very pretty, lots of woodland. And we came here and I suddenly felt this reminded me of Scotland. And I just fell in, we fell in love with it. And we came back for a couple more holidays in 2015. And then we started house hunting. And it took us two and a half years to find the house. We did 23, we saw 23 houses over 10 trips. So we were living in Surrey at the time. So we were doing quite long drives, got three speeding tickets, I think. Oh my goodness. And so anybody who's, for anybody who's not in the UK, so the Y Valley is where England meets Wales. So what would be your closest sort of city landmark? Bristol, Bristol and Bath, sort of 23 miles away. So they're really sort of where we are. So it's literally just north of Bristol. And you cross the Severn Bridge heading towards Cardiff in the south of Wales and the Wye Valley. Gloucestershire is an interesting county because it's Gloucestershire, so it's still in England, but it's split by the Severn. The River Severn comes up from Bristol and goes up towards Gloucester. Mm Mm-hmm. You have half of Gloucestershire on one side, which is mainly the Cotswolds, which most people will have heard of. Yeah. On the other side, you've got the rest of Gloucestershire, which includes the Forest of Dean, and then it butts up to Monmouthshire in the south of Wales. So it's a really interesting area from a sort of, you know, a geography and a culture point of view as well. It's different, you know, you've got the Welsh and the English and the Cotswolds and, and the Forest of Dean. It's all quite different, different areas. Yeah. Well, it sounds like an idyllic spot. It really does sound lovely. And it's not an area of the UK that I know very well at all. And you had a bit of help finding it, didn't you? We did. We were getting a bit desperate and it got to the July of 2016. And we've been looking for sort of a good couple of years. And Adrian, my husband, was on a business trip and he was away. And I was talking to a girlfriend who actually lived in Gloucestershire I said, you know, we can't find anywhere. We think we're going to sort of give up for the moment. And she was like, well, why don't you apply to the BBC TV show Escape to the Country? And I said, well, Adrian will kill me if, if you know, he's not. I've talked to him about it. And he's not up for that. Well, he doesn't want to be on television. And she said, well, he's not here at the moment. So why don't you fill in the application form? And it was the bank holiday in August of, of 2016. And I literally thought, just send the application. They won't be interested in us. I sent it in and four days later, I got a phone call. Wow. <laughs> so they were waiting. And they said, we'd like to have you on the show. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, now I need to tell Adrian. Yeah. So that was an interesting conversation. Not repeatable. He wasn't very impressed to start with with the idea. And we were both very nervous when we did the first set of filming. So they literally came back to us within a week and said, right, we're going to come to your house and film with you. So we had no time to sort of process it or think about it mm-hmm. they did. or get out of it <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. well for me, me to listen to my husband's pleas of I really don't want to be on the television I'm sort of shy I don't want to be on the telly yeah uh, so we we filmed at our house and then two weeks later we came for four days down to the Y Valley and did the filming for the for the show and yeah we we found we saw four houses and house number three, which has got an amazing spot on the top of a hill. And funnily enough, I had actually sort of seen some details about the house, but they hadn't 
we were a bit tired of coming back and we didn't have anything else to see. And I thought, doesn't house doesn't look great. And the land sounds quite good. But there are no pictures of it. Mm. I think I can face a 260 mile road trip to come and see just one house. So we'd, we'd sort of put it to one side and we were coming back in October and we thought, well, if it's still there in October, we'll go and see it. But if it's not, it's not. But they showed us this house. And we both, they actually parked us at the top of the drive and they, they do their sort of setup before we come there. And they do actually lead you down completely blind. You haven't seen the property, you know. In mm-hmm. the, they don't tell you where you're going. And we stood at the top of the drive and we both looked down the valley at the view. And Adrian said to me, we're buying this house regardless. This view is just out of this world. We can change the house, but, you know, this is an absolutely amazing location. So we walked into the house and we both really loved the feel of it, saw the land and knew that the land was perfect for what we had in mind. There was even a little spot that looked like the treehouse could just nestle there brilliantly. So we, we had to put an offer in before we'd finished filming the show. And wow. That's an escape to the country, probably success story, isn't it? It is. And they've come back and filmed us a couple of times. They did a I Escaped show where they sort of go back and visit people who've, you know, actually fulfilled mm-hmm. them and have moved to the country and whatever their plans were. Well, and I was telling you before we started that I saw that episode and I remember your face popping up and I'm going, is that really, is that really Sarah Orchard, the one that I know of, you know, because I don't, I didn't know you personally then. And yeah, and it's a show that has been on all over the world. Yes, indeed. Yeah. We do get lots of very interesting emails from people in all corners of the world, New Zealand, Australia, America, Canada, saying we've seen the TV show and we've Googled you to see whether, because if they've seen the first show, they didn't know that we actually built the treehouse. And they literally go on to Google, our friend Google, and they, they search for us. And then they find the website and send us a message, which is just delightful. It's, it's lovely to hear you know, the fact that they're, they're so pleased for us that we managed to, you know. What does Adrian think now of you being on that show? Because it has become such a marketing magnet for you, but it also helped you find the place. Is he glad that you put that application in? Yes. I mean, I think that he wasn't keen at the time, but he realized that it sort of gave us that push and made us actually focus on what we really wanted. And interestingly, we stayed in a hotel and in the bar, the, the night we arrived, there was a there was a message on someone had written like a quote on, on the board. And it said, sometimes a step, one step in the right direction is the biggest step of your life. Tiptoe if you must, but take the step. And I read it and I took a picture of it because I was like, this is just kismet, it's fate. You know, we're gonna we're gonna find the house for us. You know, they're gonna help us do that. And yeah, we did. So he he doesn't regret it now. Actually, the four days that we spent in the Y Valley, he actually enjoyed it. I think we found it harder filming at our house. But once we got down here, the crew were great fun. Yeah. We laugh at them. And they put you at your ease. And Johnny Irwin, who was our presenter, was very funny and kept us, kept us entertained yeah. for four days. So it was, it was a great experience. Yeah. What would be hilarious, though, is you said, oh, yeah, Adrian's gone on to do his own show. And <laughs> but it doesn't sound like that's happened. No, I don't think he's quite got confident on camera. He much prefers, I think, speaking to people. He loves talking to the guests and mm. the business. But 
he definitely doesn't, he's someone who doesn't like being on TV. <laughs> and so the treehouse, you created it yourself, you guys built it, and you opened, what was it, the end of 2019? No, we, well, we didn't build it, build it ourselves. We had a team that helped us. Right. It took eight months, and there were five yeah. guys working on it. I mean, it weighs 55 tons, so it was a <laughs> big engineering project. Adrian and I might be good at a little bit of DIY. Yeah, I, I didn't quite mean that you were physically nailing in the, you know, nailing in the boards, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny, Jed, but some people do ask us and say, so you built this? And we're like, oh, we wish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> talent. So yes, we, we were building all through sort of 2019 to the beginning of 2020. So we finished the build in January and we set our opening date for the 14th of February. Perfect. For 2020. Mm-hmm. But also, the world changed slightly. Yes. So yeah. we opened. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all know what happened in the March of 2020. So yeah, a bit of a rocky start. But it sounds like you're fully booked which is perfect because that's what you do. Exactly. I finally got to market my own glamping business, my own, you know, as being a host and marketing it rather than doing it for other people. I love my job. I love marketing other people's properties and their glamp sites, but it was really special to be able to, a bit nerve wracking as well, if I'm honest, to work on your own. It's sometimes easier when you you profile this, you really work on someone else's business we're not emotionally attached to it. Yes, exactly. we're successful. Yes, we're focused on what they want to achieve. But there isn't that emotion. And it's that emotion that can hold you back because you're you're a little bit inhibited. It took me about, I think it was about four weeks to sign off the branding. Right. Well, I do what I'm doing it for someone else. I just kept going, colors and is that quite right? And, and you just get tied up in it. And that's, I suppose that's what we bring when you work with clients is that, you actually are objective and you're not so emotionally attached to it. But yeah, it was great to be able to, to, to launch the hideout. And obviously I, I know what to do because I've been doing this for 30 years. So at the time it was sort of like 37 years. So I sort of know what I'm doing, but yeah, it's been, it's been great to be, to have that certainty. And I, I think I heard you say somewhere, read it, that you are basically booked a year in advance. Yes. We've, we've got over 2,000 people on a waiting list and we're currently so fully booked until January 2023, but we're actually, we've only got six dates between now and next June. So it's roughly 12 months in advance. And we've got people pampering and saying, when are you going to open the rest of 2023? We want to book for, you know, honeymoons and big birthdays and things like that. So yeah. big position to be in. And we've taken 100% of our bookings have been direct. So we've not paid a penny in commission which obviously feels good because it's more profit in our pockets rather than through an agent or an OTA. So can you give us any, maybe any tips or any ideas of what you've done? Now, I know the place is amazing. And so that will have a draw, right? It's not like it's a a two-bed cottage in the middle of a city. You know, it's it's got a, a draw in itself being so unique and so amazing. But can you tell us anything, maybe give some tips on what you've done to be able to accomplish that? Yeah, I think even if you've had something that you think, I mean, we've all got competitors. And interestingly, people always go, well, you've got a treehouse, so it's easy. Actually, there's over 100 treehouses in the UK now. Are there? So, yeah, there's obviously not as many as like, you know, like the two bed cottage that you described. You know, there's a lot more of them. But there's all of us have got competitors and and actually, I think when we started looking at building the treehouse, when I did some research, online research, there were about 45 treehouses in the UK. And now there's 100. 
over 100. So, you know, there's always competitors. People always have choice. And I'm a very strong believer that you need to know what your experience is and who your ideal guests are. And I think where people sometimes go wrong is that you try and be all things to all people. So you become, you're trying to be, you know, just your messages are quite generic and you try and be, you know, appeal to everyone. And even if you've got that little two-bedroom cottage, if you can niche down to a particular you know, even if it's people with dogs that love walking and they, you know, or they they actually are foodies or they want to go, maybe you've got like an antiques trail in your your little village or your town and you can niche in on those and actually, you know, the, the branding, the language, the style of your, you know, your accommodation, your property will appeal to them. You can differentiate. And we, I spent a lot of time, we worked really hard on on working on what we wanted our experience to be like, even decisions like, Someone said to me, well, just put a gas barbecue in. And we were like, we want to connect people to the outdoors. We don't want them to cook with a gas barbecue. You know, you can do that at home. We don't want to put the bath inside. Um, we want to put the bath out on the deck because we won't be able to get rained on when they're sitting in the bath and, and have that sort of a, a, an exhilarating experience. That's something is just not, you can have a bath at home. Yeah. Sit on a deck with surrounded by birds and woodland or bats and stars at night and actually, you know, be immersed in that, or to sit around the campfire actually cooking with flames rather than, you know, your gas barbecue. And we and we tried to carry it all the way through in terms of just mapping out what that guest experience would be like. And then what our brand sort of stands for. And then also knowing that we had to start marketing literally as soon as we broke ground. And I think that's the common thing that I'm seeing at the moment, the clients that I'm sort of working with. And that I often see that they come to me when they've sort of finished, finished the build or they've finished the renovation of their, of their holiday property. And they're like, right, now I need to do marketing. And we're opening in two weeks. You're like, okay. <laughs> it's going to be quite tough because you yeah. want to hit the ground running and nobody knows about you. So I literally started as soon as we broke ground and we knew it was going ahead. But I opened our social profiles. I built an email list. And we had, at the point where we launched, we had 500 people on our email list. It's that anticipation, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. I already had that little little pot of people who had put their hands up and said, we like the look of what you're doing. We're interested. Tell us more when you open. Yeah. We took 50 bookings in 19 days from the moment we pressed go live on the booking system because we already had a social following. We already had people on our list. So we had that pent up demand to, to buy and and then it's just built from there. And then obviously we did a lot of launch PR and marketing to, as we sort of once we were ready and able to with the pandemic. But yeah, I think that's my biggest tip is invest in two things, understanding your experience and, and what you offer your guest and how that differentiates from, you know, what else is out there and how you can differentiate it. And then also start as soon as you can with the marketing rather than leaving it to maybe two or three weeks before you actually press go live on your website. I think everyone feels like they have to have everything ready. You know, the website needs to be ready. Yeah. needs to be perfect. You know, the booking system also needs to be set up and then they go, right, now I can press go. Yeah. It's about you. So it's, it's been a hard job to, to get those direct bookings in and, and not have to rely on, on a bigger sort of marketing panel. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a unique thing like a, a treehouse. I have a client who does have actually a two-bed cottage 
in Norfolk, and they wanted to start. They did not want to do any OTAs. I even said to them, at the beginning, you might want to do some OTAs to sort of use them as almost like a lead generation acquisition and then phase them out. And they're like, no, we just want to do it 100% direct. I said, okay, let's get marketing. So we started marketing while they were still, they'd bought the property. They weren't building it, but they were renovating it. Yeah. So we were marketing through that. And exactly the same thing is that they had a pot of people that when they were ready to open, they had gone through the experience with them. They had seen the transformation that they have they had created in this two-bed bungalow in Norfolk and then was able to say, okay, now we're ready for bookings. Who wants to come and open the doors? And there were people ready. Exactly. And we did a little launch promotion. Because you've got to give someone an incentive to get on your list. And this is the thing we, you know, I often see people put join my newsletter and it's like, well, no one's going to put their hand. Yeah. I said, we all get too much news. So it's like, we we said we were going to do a launch offer at the point. I didn't know what that launch offer was going to be, but I knew I was going to reward the people that had put their hands up and shown an interest. And I think we did from memory, seems a long time ago now, 20% off for the first, and it was literally midweek bookings for like the first three months because we knew they would be hard to shift because we were also opening in February. So it's like not the best time <laughs> yeah. in the UK or knows the UK and how much we love to talk about our very unpredictable and generally damp weather. It was, I think the day we opened, we had Storm Dennis. So it was a bit of a... <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it was It was a tricky sort of first opening night, but battling the elements. But obviously, you know, then we had the pandemic as well. So it you know, we knew those first three months were, were, were going to be a bit tricky. So we knew we had to sort of incentivize people to, to, you know, to stay. And of course, then you get the reviews and you get people sharing stuff on social and then it just snowballs from there. And then people are like, we must go and stay there. It looks it's as good as they say it is. <laughs> yeah, well, they become your ambassadors, don't they? The sort of, yeah, telling everyone about their stay. Now, if you're booked a year in advance, pretty much, are you still marketing? Do you take your foot off the gas? What are you What are you doing to drive bookings a year from now? It's a really good question, actually. It's probably a bit like, you know, plumbers with leaky taps. You know, like, am I the worst person at doing my own marketing? <laughs> because yeah. I'm, it's my, my day job. I have eased off a little bit because I think I also balance the you don't want to, you want to create demand, but also you don't want to frustrate people. So we've got quite a big following. We've got eight, over eight and a half thousand people on Instagram. It's, if you keep posting, I, I post about two or three times a week generally. I think you're also sort of almost taunting them slightly because they can't stay with you for the moment. Mm-hmm. The general presence and sort of kept our visibility. Because also, you know, the way the algorithms work is that if you say a massive break, it's much harder to, to get the visibility once you sort of re, restart. What we have done and the way we've also grown our email list is my husband is an absolute genius at this. So he handles a lot of the inquiries when people contact and say, you know, we're looking to say, and we're like, really sorry, we're fully booked. But if you get on our email list, you'll be the first to hear when we have any cancellations or new dates. And I think what I've been very careful of, and I think another thing I see where people maybe go slightly wrong is they will put everything out on social. If you put everything out on social, people do not need to sign up to your email list. There's no incentive. There's no like exclusivity of, of being the first to hear. So we stick, and I'm very strict about it. We generally, I think twice I've put some dates on social that have been available and like as a last resort. But actually, all of our cancellations or new dates go out on email. 
and we do respect and honor the people that have put their name down. They are the ones that hear about it first. And Adrian is absolutely brilliant at getting people to sign up to the list because every time he gets an inquiry, he's like, I've jumped into it. He's like, he's like, um, but if you get your name on our list, you'll be the first to hear. And that's how we've really grown the list. Obviously, there's a sign up form on our website, but he's proactively encouraging people mm-hmm. and selling it to them that they obviously they're gonna you know get that benefit but you just have to you do have yeah. to be true to that yeah well why be on the newsletter list if everything's going to be on social i actually saw somebody the other day post their newsletter on facebook yeah. and i'm like oh you've just completely Shot yourself in the foot <laughs> yeah you've undone all the work you've just tried to do you know keep it exclusive you know, make it that VIP community, which are the first to hear about anything and talk to them regularly. You know, don't let them sit there for six months and then pop an email out. Exactly. And and I think that's the thing. We've all become very reliant on social media and it's our sort of go-to platform or platforms. And we tend to put, you know, we just tend to put everything on there. So we don't give people, and for me, my website and my email list and my, and my marketing weapons more than social, because I know that social, you know, the reach now is so little compared to what it was if you go back sort of five years and you really need to do ads. So, you know, I use it as a sort of constant just to keep that presence. I don't anticipate that it's going to grow hugely. And also I think something to bear in mind, and this is a bit controversial, (laughs) a large number of followers on social is good for your ego. It's not very good for booking sometimes. And that's all we've got to bear in mind, particularly with Instagram. I find that, you know, you can have 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 followers, which makes you feel great. Well, they're doing a great job. But actually, when you actually analyze them, a lot of them can be in another country and they'll never travel to your country. It also can be a lot of people who just love liking. Think about what we all do. We go on there, we see a beautiful picture. We see something that makes us smile or we see someone, you know, my husband always says they describe the treehouse as dreamy. And he says, I hope that, you know, they, they might be dreamy, but they need to come and stay and <laughs> spend money with us. And that's true. You know, you can have a lot of people for the vanity of having this huge following. But the people on your list have put their hands up and said that they're thinking of staying. And that, for having 2,000 you know, people on my list is worth having 100,000 people on Instagram because I know that these people, you know, I only need to take 140 bookings a year and with 2,000 people on there. Mm-hmm maths it's like actually you know if they all decided they wanted to stay we could we could just use our list for the next few years and everything would be you know fine that's not the case because you need to keep adding people and not all convert but you know we successfully normally fill all of our cancellations and all of our new dates through predominantly our our list yeah well, I'm just nodding away here as you're talking because yeah <laughs> you're you're talking you're you're speaking the truth. It really is. And, you know, on the other side of the things, if Instagram or Facebook closed up shop tomorrow, your business would not be affected. Yes. And, yeah. And, yeah. Building your house on someone else's land is the expression that I often like. Yes. It's because it's, you know, we, if they disappeared tomorrow, or if they started charging, and actually really they have started charging, mm-hmm. to, to get surreptitiously behind the scenes, it's like, you know, now our reach is so little for most businesses that, 
you do need to advertise. So they are charging for us for accessing our audiences on the platform. And you know, like you say, if they close down tomorrow and platforms have disappeared, we a lot of people who've, you know, are quite confidently saying, well, I've got 5,000 people or 10,000 people on social media. And it's like, but I've only got 100 people on my list mm-hmm. in a much weaker position to be able to continue to, to operate. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm just agreeing with you, just silently sitting here going, yes, yes, yes. And I hope that your words are going into our listeners' head because it's so important. It really is, especially when you're looking on social media and you see people with all the dates and the cancellations and the new, you know, it's just, yeah, get your get your own community off of social media and that will help you far more than a couple of more followers. Yeah. So I'm going to end because this has been so amazing, but I have been asking everybody this question and I would love to hear your answer. What does direct booking success mean to you? Oh, Dan, that's a really good question. I think it means different things to different people. But for me, I always knew that we wanted to take 100% of our bookings direct. But the reality is I've got the time and, and the skills as a marketer to sort of do that. And for some people, direct booking success might be, or booking success might be through through an agent, through an OTA, because they haven't got the skills or the time to do it. But for me, it's it's building that capability in your business, that marketing capability, so that you can take those bookings direct. So, you know, investing in your website with a good booking engine, you know, like I said, having that email list, and it's getting whatever percentage of bookings that you want to handle direct because for some business owners and hosts they won't want to have they quite like having using an OTA or an agent because they do some of the marketing and they do the admin and some of the work for you and some of the conversations I have with clients is around let's just be really honest about you know how much time have you got to upskill and learn the marketing techniques which anyone can learn it's not some you know, you don't have to have magical powers to be able to do it. You no, know, sometimes I wish I did have a magical <laughs> one, but... Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> having that know-how and then having the time so that you can do it yourself is definitely achievable for any holiday and business. However, you've got to be really realistic about, do I have the, the time and the desire to, to do it? Because the thing about being your own boss and most of us are running our own, you know, our own businesses and it's small teams is we are the boss, which is the best thing in the world, but it's also the worst thing in the world because no one is going to come after you if you don't actually do the marketing. You're not going to be like when I worked in my corporate days, if I didn't deliver against my objectives. I've had my boss talking to me quite sternly. You know, you're motivated by the going to the office and having to deliver against a set of objectives. But when you run your own business, nobody comes after you if you don't put that social post out. Or you don't do that email campaign or you let it drift for months because you've not set targets. So I think for me, direct booking success is building that marketing capability and being able to, to, to do it yourself. And it feels very rewarding to be able to, you know, stick up to the to the you know the, the big boys and and to be able to take the bookings and, and be successful as as just yeah we've got one property you know we're a tiny team it's husband and wife team that feels good but there's no shame in using an OTA or an agent or some description if you haven't got the time or the inclination and i think you just have to be really honest with yourself as a business owner are you going to put the time in 
And I think anyone can definitely achieve it, but you've, you've got to be able to commit to it, to make it happen. And then it's within everyone's scope of being able to do it, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some good points there, really good points there. So can you maybe tell everybody how you help, but also where they can find you? Well, not surprisingly, I'm on social media. <laughs> And I think you might have an email list. <laughs> I've got an email list for both my businesses. So obviously, if they want to check out the treehouse, uh, they need to look up The Hudnall's Hideout. And we're on Instagram and Facebook. And my marketing business is get-fully-booked.com. So you can find me there. I also have a free Facebook group where you can hang out with me. It's Get Visible, Get Fully Booked. So you can come and hang out with me for free there. Yeah. And I, I run a marketing club, which I have members in and I run on a sort of monthly basis, but there's full details of that on my website. So yeah, come and connect with me on Facebook and say hi and drop by my website. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. We'll link to all of those on the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us and giving us your tips on how you are getting your own property fully booked for a year in advance and giving us a peek into how you created it. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jen. It's been great fun. Thank you for listening to the Direct Booking Success Podcast. For more information about this episode and others, head to the website directbookingsuccess.com. See you next week.